Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor author and property investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And I'm delighted that today I'm joined by Jackie Tomes. Hi, Hi, Jackie, how are you? Really good, really great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to have you here because we were saying just before we started recording that your journey has been epic in property. <laughs> because I remember when we first met a couple of years ago and you were pretty much just first starting out, weren't you? But before we get even into that, let's just explore a little bit about who Jackie actually is. So Jackie, yeah. who are you? Who am I? Who that is you? a big question. It is a big question. So <laughs> let me help you with that. It's a bit open-ended, isn't it? I know that property wasn't your first love, was it? What was it you wanted to do when you were a child all those years ago? How long so ago? I, um, my big dream was to be in the West End stage. I wanted to sing and dance in the musicals in the West End. Um, I was actually quite a shy kid and they put me on the school production when I was a kid and suddenly people started to like me and think, want to be my friend when I was in the school production and that kind of led me on this path to actually wanting to be on the West End which was a ended up being a failed dream but it was yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't change it basically so yeah that was my first love basically right and you put many many years into that didn't you mm -hmm. all of my teens was basically chasing after that dream which is it's so hard and a lot of my best friends still do it and they some of them have been very successful at it, some of them have been in like multiple West End shows, but it's a hard life and you just, I don't know, you, you when you get into it you think you might be the one that makes a success of it, but actually the reality of it is that it's hard, quite often you're not working, I was just working like kind of like waitress type jobs in between it and it was, yeah, it's a, it's a really hard life, you have to really be committed to want to do it and apparently I didn't want it enough. <laughs> right, but at the time when it didn't happen, Presumably that must have been very hard for you, devastating maybe. I think the hardest part of it was that uh, it was a dream that I shared with all of my best friends. There was about five or six of us who all had this dream to go out and do it. And the, and when you want to be on the West End, like the, the you have to go to like drama school and then you kind of head on to do the West End stuff. And, and they, all, they all got in to kind of pursue their dream of doing that. And yeah, that was one of the like toughest points in my life was seeing all of them go off to be able to go and pursue what they love to do and just feeling left behind really. Right and do you still have sort of regrets over that? Does it still hurt? Um, when I like talk about it like this now and I really think about it I can like literally remember the pain of it still mm. but I don't have any regrets. It's great I get to be a speaker now and I get to be on the stage and actually being a speaker and being able to share ways that you can create financial freedom, create businesses and take control of your life and helping people to do that is so powerful and makes such a long lasting difference in people or can make such a long lasting difference in people's lives that actually I feel like it was I've ended up somewhere better than I would have been if mm. it if I'd gone down you know if I'd got in and I'd made that happen. It's interesting how life works isn't it because I was going to say you did actually end up on stage although by a different route. By a completely different route and actually it's not as transferable as you think obviously the confidence is there from being um, you know, standing on the stage, but actually, 
you've just got to be just completely yourself when you're a speaker on stage and just stripping away the all the kind of performance element in me it's probably my greatest challenge as a speaker yeah. because it's just you just got to be completely you and actually how comes being you is so hard turns out it is well we'll come back to that in a, in a, in a while we'll, we'll explore all of that but after it didn't quite work out on the West End stages, you ended up going into marketing and marketing research. Yeah, obviously, like completely random. I ended up when the acting failed and the you know West End stuff wasn't working out. I ended up going back to university, and my plan was to start to be kind of like in a management position within the arts. So still within the industry that I loved, but on a management role. Anyway, that turned out that that was pretty. A not easy life either so then I ended up working in market research which has kind of been I've been doing like kind of waitressing type roles within market research and like little you know tea lady type roles but yeah moved into like properly doing the research that's actually it was really it was an interesting job I got to sit around the table I don't know if you've ever done like a focus group mm. so that was my role was holding focus groups and getting to talk to consumers about like how washing powder made them feel um, and all that kind of stuff, which was, it was fascinating when you put that into the bigger picture of what that ultimately means for the brands that you're doing the research for and how that feeds into their strategic marketing direction. So it's actually a really varied role. I got to learn loads about people and human behavior and psychology and, and marketing strategy as well. So yeah, it was really interesting, but I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit of a control freak and I you know my boss was lovely she was a really nice lady uh, but I didn't like being at the behest of someone else and being told what to do so that's what kind of made me start to think you know well what what else is there basically. Mm. Now there was a point wasn't there a few years back where you're on holiday <laughs> and it was the last day of the holiday what happened? I don't know if, if you, people listening, I'm sure if you've been on holiday and you've got a job, you may have experienced that kind of like sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach when you come towards the end of your holiday, that kind of feeling of dread that you've actually got to go back to work. I started to get that feeling. This was like almost five years ago now and I just did not want to go back to work and I just knew that at the time I... I just knew there had to be something better, something more, some way to create more freedom because you know I love holidays. Um, I'm we now crafted life in such a way that we can go on holiday like every six weeks. But at the time when you've got annual leave for a job, you are really restricted. And I wanted to be able to go on more holidays. So it was that I was on my twenty fourth birthday, I think twenty fourth birthday, and that was the point I decided that there's got to be something else, and I thought it could be property. Interesting. I have to say that you and I are very similar in that respect. And having done the Dr. John D. Martini values and everything, oh, I've realised that my highest value is freedom. And like you, every time I went on holiday, I had that feeling of dread and I didn't want to go back. My wife used to have to kick me and drag me back home. If we had to go to the airport to get a plane, <laughs> she'd have to drag screaming. me to the airport to get me back home, get back to work. So I can fully relate to that. But you decided that your escape plan was going to be through property. Yes. Why? Why property? What was it about property at that time? Well, I'd seen my my mum and my stepdad had, they'd bought a couple of buy-to-lets, like the more like kind of traditional way, um, just like saving up and buying some property. So I'd seen them do it and I just thought, you know, maybe that could be a great way. And at the time I was actually 
I've always been quite a busy person. Outside of my job, I was doing some uh, production management work for a film company and um, I was earning some money alongside. And I just kind of thought, you know what, you know, if I could be- get properties cheap enough, maybe I could kind of like save up and just build up a deposit pot myself and then you know, get a bit of passive income from property. And if I thought, if I could just save really hard, if I could just like cut back everything but essential living costs, I'm sure I could make it so I could buy one property a year. Even I wasn't on a big salary, I was on like 30 grand a year, I think, at the time. I was like, I'm sure if we could cut right back, I'm sure I can make that happen. Um, yeah, and that, for me, I could just kind of get my head around property. I think that might be the case for quite a lot of mm. other people going into property. I liked the idea of having your own thing, your own business. But my perception was that in order to have your own business, you had to have some like miraculous idea. Mm. Like you see on like Dragon's Den or The Apprentice, some like amazing invention. The problem is I, I didn't have those ideas. But for me, I thought, you know, property, I, you know, I, I could see myself doing that. I could get my head around it. So, yeah, that, that was the beginning of that. And I just literally went online, went onto Amazon while I was in, in the ski resort on the like um, little coach going back from one resort to the next. And I was literally on Amazon downloading like every single book I could find on like property and investing. And I downloaded Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's when I first found that. And um, that was that was the beginning, basically. Right. So then what happened? You came back, you, you did come back, you did yep. go back to your job, presumably, because yep. you had to. Yep. You'd read all the books about property. Yep. What did you do next? The next 18 months were basically, oh, and you forget how painful it was. And if you're like, if people listening, if you're at the beginning of trying to buy property, I can relate to how painful it can be at times. So I was basically trying to, um, one thing it was amazing because I was reading all these books and it was all these concepts and ideas about wealth and freedom that I'd never heard before Um, and so it was like really exciting in one respect and then I started to look into different areas I had you know I was living in uh, southeast London like Woolwich Thamesmead area and I started looking um, just down the road from us in a place called Erith really well-known place and just started thinking oh maybe that could be I started like weighing up what uh, areas you could buy and what types of property and analysing that against average yields. And there was a book that I read, I can't even remember what it was now, that basically had some principles for how you could find an area. Uh, and so I just basically spent the next 18 months <laughs> starting by like, thinking that Erith could be a great place to invest. And at the time, it was about £80,000 for a one-bed flat that I could rent out for around £600 a month. Mm-hmm. Anyway, because I was on such a tight budget for trying to buy this first property, I was trying to go and get an 85% loan to value mortgage to like maximise what I could um, afford because I was literally just saving every single month. There was one lender who would do an 85% loan to value mortgage and we approached them when I had built up enough of a pot to kind of go for it. Um, and they said, oh no, definitely we can't give you a mortgage until you are 25. Oh dear. How old were you at the time? <laughs> 24. Okay. Like 24 and a half. Yeah. Um, so that basically put the brakes on it for a while. So by the time I actually came to my 25th birthday, so that had been like pretty much a year since I'd first got the idea to do property, um, I got the mortgage. It was agreed and I was free to go and buy that property. And I promptly went to Erith, or, or Erith virtually on right move. And I was like, what? £100,000 now for a one-bedroom flat. And I was like, this £20,000 more expensive than it was a year ago. And so I decided that Erith was no longer a good deal. Oh, okay. So then I spent the next few months 
gradually moving further and further out into Kent, looking in like Gravesend, Gillingham, Rochester, all the way till eventually I got to Dover. Uh, I was putting in offers along the way and kind of getting getting accepted and then someone would kind of gazump me and the market was quite busy at the time. Um, so I eventually had an offer accepted in Dover on this house. And you just know when something just doesn't quite feel right. And so I thought, I'm just, I'm just gonna check one more time in Erith. And I had a look again and I analyzed the prices that they were at, which was around 100 to 110,000. Um, and then I looked at the rental yields and I was like, you know what? It's still a good deal, but the problem was I had that contrast frame of 80 grand to 100, mm. so therefore I was, I was thinking about it wrong. So I was like, you know what? No, screw Dover. Dropped out of the place in Dover, found a one bed flat in Erith that was disgusting, put in an offer, had it accepted, and that was the first property. Brilliant. And were you still with the same lender? I was still with the same lender. Go on, tell us who they were. Kent Reliance. I thought it was going to be Kent Reliance. <laughs> And interestingly, I think their minimum valuation now is 100 grand anyway. Yes. So it, it may or may not have happened at 80. I think it they, was It was actually before they put that criteria in. Mm, I did manage. I think I got mm. the mortgage was like 100, uh, no, it was like 85 or something. So, I, But they did put it in post that. So yeah. So yay. But that, but that was you started. <laughs> that was me started. Blood, sweat and tears. It was so hard and so demoralising at times. And... Yeah, exhausting. So I was doing it all around having a full-time job. So it, was, it wasn't it was easy. And then all you freaking have is like one property after like 18 months of... Well, there's the out. big irony, isn't it? Because you were after freedom. Yeah. Financial freedom and time freedom. And actually, all you've got now is less time. The opposite. <laughs> <laughs> William, property. nailed it. And just one property. <laughs> and a husband who... I'll never forget, we were... We just finished the first property and we literally... I did... I would never do it like that again because I, now I know I've been educated... I literally took the day off work the day that a property completed and I got my scrubs on. I had my like mm. big old baggy t-shirt and my like scraggy old trousers and I marched down to this disgusting one bed flat that stank of smoke and was just never been cleaned in like 20 years. And I was there pulling up carpets, taking down disgusting curtains, loading up my car with this disgusting old sofa. And I just like the next month of refurbing that property was even harder than the previous 18 months before that had actually been. Um, but anyway, I, the thing is with me, as soon as the pain is over, um, you, I, I quickly forget. Mm. And so my, my boyfriend at the time, now husband Dave, uh, I remember being in the car with him and he kind of like mucked in and helped. Um, he wasn't push, pushing it forward, but he mucked in and helped and he put on some like door handles and, you know, some stuff like that at the end of the project. And um, I was in the car with Dave. I said, Dave, you know what? I reckon we could do more than one of these in a year. And he basically pretty much slapped me in the face and said, don't you even think about it. This has been hard enough, not a chance. Um, so that's quite funny. <laughs> right. But it obviously didn't stop you because you sat here. Yeah. And if you'd stopped then, you probably wouldn't be. No. No. So what, what happened next then? So that was in around September 2014. And that was a one bed flat? I was a one bed flat. And how much did you pay for that? 108,000, 108,500. Okay, right. You wouldn't be able to get them for that in Erith now, would you? No, no, they're about 140, 150. Crazy. There really. we go. Yep. Um, well, that's part of the reason why we love property. And part of the reason why I liked London as well. Hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, it was around that time that I'd somehow got myself onto um, some mailing list. 
And these people were like emailing me all the time. The dreaded email. The email. It was Rob Moore was emailing me. <laughs> and he said I should come on this webinar. And I was like, oh, sounds like a good webinar about the, um, the housing market and what was going to happen. And I remember logging into this um, webinar. I was away traveling for work for some research. And I was in the hotel um, bar, like trying to eat some dinner. And I was watching this webinar. And the, um, and the signal was really rubbish, so I was like traveling around the hotel trying to get a signal to stay on this webinar. Um, and it's in that webinar that Rob Moore said, you know, you could get this CD set. Oh no, it was a book, I think. Get a book and get these tickets to this event called Multiple Streams of Property Income. Ah, so it would be the blue book. It would have been the blue book. Of the same name. Yes, exactly. That would have been what I got. And yeah. I, I, yeah, basically came along to Multiple Streams of Property Income in October of that same year, so that would have been October 2014, and that event was a game changer. Right. Total game changer. In what way, Jackie? Well, the first day, I was, <laughs> how did I describe myself? Um, smug. I sat there for the whole of the first day, and I was like, I'm going to sit on my hands, I'm not going to buy any courses or anything, I'm going to sit on my hands, I'm not going to spend any money. And I sat there, and it was pretty much Rob for most of the first day, and he was basically sharing how how you could invest in property and why it was good and everything he was saying on that first day i was like yeah i know that i read that in a book yeah figured that out myself yep yeah i don't need all these courses i figured all this out myself and i was basically like really smug at how amazing i was for like buying a, a property without needing to come on a course um but as the weekend went along it kind of dawned on me that it had taken me 18 months to learn what I pretty much could have learned in like a matter of days mm. if I'd just have come on a course. Mm. And so the smugness kind of like drained away and I realised that actually I needed to shift my thinking about how I was investing in myself and how much, I was, how much value I was placing on education, which I'd done in my life before. I'd been to uni and I'd you know, always invested in myself before, but not in this way for some reason. Mm. Um, and basically that shifted my mindset on investing in myself and investing in the communities of people that you hang out with um, and how you could go and do joint venture uh, partnerships, how you could do property deals without having to put in all the money um, or any of the money. And that just made me realise that there was so much more that was possible. Um, was that a big revelation for you? Oh my God. I, I'll never forget it. I brought Dave along with me for the second day. He couldn't make the first day. He was down the second day. And we went over this Pizza Express just across the road in London where multiple streams is held. And I went in there with Dave. I'm going to make me a bit emotional feeling, thinking about it. I went in there with Dave and we sat there and we were like, oh my God, this is, like, this is possible. We could literally become financially free in a really short space of time if we do this. And we just were like excited and exhausting because the days are really long. And we were just like, oh my God, this is, this, the possibilities were just endless. But yeah, we made a commitment at that event that I would leave my job within a year. And we were just going to go out and, and do this and, and make it happen. And right. that was, yeah, I can remember. It makes me feel really like, I feel like it needs to be a movie about it. I'm like, oh, that's the light bulb moment when it all like clicked. You went, you know what, Let, let's just go and do it. Right. And Dave was brought in at this point or Dave still wanted to slap you? Dave was brought in by this point. <laughs> well, he may have wanted to slap me for other things, but yeah, for that, he was in with the property. And that was a big change as well, because before he'd always been supportive, but... I've been the one reading the, reading the books and, and going back and feeding back to him about what I'd learned. And he was interested, but not forging. And at that point, he decided to come on board and push forward as well. So suddenly it was 
the manpower was increased. And whilst Dave, Dave uh, was a musician, he was working long hours and traveling a lot. I was working long hours and traveling a lot. We could never have imagined how tough that next year was going to be, but it was, yeah, life-changing. Tough in what sense, Jackie? Long hours, um, finding your feet in something completely new. Uh, and we scaled up like really fast because we'd done, we'd done it once and we'd proven the model. We, um, we just went for it, basically. We went out and found some uh, family members who had some money and we, you know, joint ventured with them. Um, but yeah, it was really hard juggling the job and getting up and running. It was just, you know, it was nonstop for a year. Give me an idea of the scale of this, because you've gone from one property in Erith. What was the portfolio worth by the end of that year? By the end of that year, I think we took it to like 1.5 million by the end of that. So you added about 1.4 million's worth of property yeah. in a year. Yeah. Pretty good going. <laughs> so, it, you know, it was, we deserved to be busy for, the, for what we were, yeah. Okay, so what, what sort of property was that? Uh, what, oh, it was all the same thing again. It was like buying one bed flats, renovating them and renting them out. Some we were turning into two bed flats. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was all, it was all leasehold flats. And is that Erith still? Uh, Erith and Belvedere. Um, and then we did start to, as that kind of year went on, expand out into, I think as most people do, we got quite distracted at one point trying to do a lot of different things and moved into HMOs and doing that for clients and then trying to look for commercial conversions and title splits. And we just got like, we got a bit overwhelmed by trying to do way too many things all at the same time. But what worked the best was just the simple single lets. Okay. So did you do it? Yes. You committed to get out of your job in a year. I did. And it got to, because I had a three month notice period and because we had the pipeline, we could see it starting to come through. Um, and the other thing that was a bit <laughs> of an unexpected twist was the deciding to go on and be a speaker. And so not only was there the property stuff building up, there was this whole speaking thing building up as well. It was all a bit too much, really. But hey, it was amazing. And um, in the end, I ended up handing in my notice in August, July. It must have been June time. because so I eventually left my job on August the 29th, oh. 2015. Okay. So it was before we said we were going to. You actually beat the deadline by a couple of months. By a couple of months. And... I kind of wanted to hang out those last couple of months because obviously you're generating more income in that time. But the opportunity that I could see from the speaking perspective was so great that I was like, I'm, what am I going to lose by waiting another couple of months? So yeah, I cut, cut loose. Right. So now you're full-time in property. Yeah. And you're a trainer. Yeah. Or a trainee trainer. Yeah. And both. Yeah. So it's... um. That was that was over two years ago now, and it doesn't. It feels like a lifetime ago and like yesterday, all at the same time, which is quite a weird thing to try and describe. But yeah, since then, uh, you know, I've grown as a speaker, built our own training business, as well as being able to speak for Progressive, which has been amazing, and yeah, grown the property portfolio as well. Okay, well, we'll come back to the training in a moment. Yeah, cool. But let's just sort of finish where you've got to with property because you obviously haven't stood still <laughs> and, and in, in more senses than one because you've now moved on. Your patch has moved it has from moved. East London. So you're, where are you buying now? And what, <laughs> and what are you buying? Very, this is quite funny, really. Considering that, that I had an offer accepted on a place in Dover, 
mm. and then I changed my mind. Mm. Um, we're now based in Margate in Kent, which is not all that far from Dover. Um, basically, when I decided to invest in South East London, it was kind of a bit out of... It was kind of putting our own spin on a buy-to-let model because mm. we weren't buying like really BMV stuff. We were buying stuff with a bit of a discount, adding value and having the benefit of being in London where the capital appreciation was strong. Mm. Um, but they were still, they still cash flowed as singlets. So it was quite a nice balanced model. Um, and actually, it was a great plan and it worked really well. Like the capital appreciation was strong. Well, just to be clear on that, because the classic BRR model that we yep. teach at Progressive is that you buy it fairly cheap, yep. something minging and run down, yep. you do it up and add some value, yep. and then you'd refinance, recycle your money back out. But where you were, even in Irith, where it's quite cheap relatively, yep. it was hard to do that. So you were relying upon capital growth, which meant waiting a period of time before you could then refinance. Yeah, or we were just refinancing and leaving some money in. We did have some... Yep deals where we basically did the BRR model but over two years mm. um, but yeah I got into property because I saw the long-term benefits I wanted to buy somewhere that I believed in the area so that was kind of our bit of a balance of all things really still buying at a good price and still adding value but having the capital appreciation to help along the way as well mm. but that plan really worked because the capital appreciation was strong but when capital values increased yields go down mm. and suddenly once we were refinancing stuff we were at values of like 210 220 which as a buy to let investment i would just would never mm. go out and buy something of that value mm. so either we had to change um the model and do something more like hmos which we started to do um but i was much more keen on single lets um and or we changed the area and now because of what we'd built I didn't need to be in my job anymore. And actually, for other reasons, Dave wasn't doing music anymore. We went, you know what? Let's just go somewhere new. Mm. Let's find a new area where we can still make single lets work at, at the back end. Um, and after much analysis of all kinds of areas across the UK, we ended up in sunny Margate. Which totally is random. practically on your doorstep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting. Because it's not a million miles away from where you were. But just moving that distance, what are we talking 30, 40 miles, is it? Um, 50 miles? It's a bit more than that. It's a, it's an hour and a half's drive. So what that be in miles? Mm. Maybe more like 70. Okay, okay, a little bit further. Yeah. But that was enough to make the model work and to be able yep. to find the single lets yep. and, and follow the system. Yep. So you kept buying? So kept buying. JV finance still? Yep, still with joint ventures. So how would you structure that? Buying them with JV finance and then refinancing onto a standard buy-to-let mortgage? Yeah, but it's a bit of a, a blend. Sometimes it's... Um, the investor's always putting in the cash that's required for the deal. Sometimes you're gearing up using bridging finance or development mm. finance. Because we are doing... We have still slightly shifted what we were doing. Shifted what we were doing. We were initially planning to just continue buying single-let leasehold flats. But then actually we got more sophisticated and we continued learning in that time. So we actually realised that we could buy whole blocks of flats, um, which um, just means that you can, it's great you can be the freeholder and you can you're basically bulk buying things, so you just get to speed it up as well. All right, well, you don't think do things by halves, do you? Go from buying individual flats to buying whole blocks, blocks of, of flats. Blocks of flats, basically. Yeah. So <laughs> tell us about that. Tell us about your first block of flats. So a warehouse is already split into flats, so four flats within... Um, a warehouse conversion. Conversion was done 
like seven years ago. So it was long enough ago, they're starting to get a bit tired. Mm. It was all rented out. Um, and basically, we purchased that and you're, uh, doing a bit of a refurb and doing a bit of a reconfiguration to add bedrooms and then refinancing that onto just ongoing buy to let mortgages. An interesting project. Do you know why the vendor was selling? Tired landlord? Uh, in, in Margate is a lot of tired landlords who've been landlords in the area for like a, a long time mm. um, and are offloading because they see it's a good opportunity. Because mm. if for Londoners, Margate's still cheap, but for people who've been in Margate for a long time, they're like, wow, it's gone nuts. Mm. So um, yeah, they're getting a lot of tired older landlords getting out. Right, so it was a bit tired, and yeah. and you saw scope to reconfigure the accommodation. Yep. Right. So two of the two one-bed flats into two two-bed flats. So that's easy, easy value, really. Right. And that then set the tone. Yeah. You've done more. Yeah. So that's just continuing to focus on buying blocks of flats. We are trying to. We've got a lot of investors. Um, lined up who want to work with us but we're trying to really manage our capacity really carefully because for me delivering a great service and doing a great job is you've got you've got to balance out that with just trying to scale really quickly as well so so yep yeah, so blocks of flats and then also we've got on the go at the moment our first small commercial to residential conversion mm. again we're turning it into a block of flats essentially mm. it's a shop on the ground floor with residential above that's being split into four flats. Mm. So that's always something that we found exciting to be able to do our own developments. So this was a great place to be able to, to cut our teeth and do it in a small way where we could learn. All, there's just so much more to learn with commercial conversions mm. and doing single lets. So that's been a steep learning curve. Right, but they sound like very nice manageable units in terms of the size. Yes. Is that a deliberate choice or is it just that that happens to be the size of properties that you find in Margate? Mm, a bit of both really. We are, <laughs> I'm a control freak and I like to be able to like really manage what we're doing. So for me, starting with a small amount of units in one thing felt like a good and managed way to, to step up. So, so yeah, a bit of both really. And it was kind of what was there. And it's great because, you know, shops, uh, are under shop uh, to residential is under permitted development so the whole thing there was no full planning uh, required for it which was a great thing to be able to do because when working with investors we've really struggled with the needing to go through full planning to mm. to make things work so we just kind of don't <laughs> mm. basically so it's great when blocks of flats already in existence the planning's already been granted in the past or you can get retrospective planning because it's been done so long ago so yeah, that's been a good way to manage that risk, really. Right, and you're managing to keep these properties and put them into your portfolio. Yeah. So how, how big's the portfolio now? How, how, what's the value of your portfolio? The portfolio now is 3.5. Okay, so you've added another couple of million. Couple of million. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And then we've got about 3 million uh, GDV pipeline coming through as well. So it's all grow substantially again over the next kind of 12, 18 months. And all made possible through JV Finance. Yeah, game changing. Right. It's brilliant. Like, and you get to work with, you get to work with other people. You get to help them out as well and help yourself. It's just, yeah. Thank you, Progressive, for convincing me that I could do it because I'd, I had read about it in books, but I was like, why would anyone want to do that with me? Mm. 
Well, that's the classic question which everybody asks themselves and puts so many people off actually trying. Mm. But you did. Yeah. Where did you find your JV partners? So we started with the easiest wins have been people that we've all already known, already knew. Mm. So we initially went to family members who we knew had, they were good savers mm. and had cash in the bank, but they weren't doing anything with it. So that's where we started. Uh, and then as, as, as that started to work and as we started talking about that, I met two of our um, joint venture investors. Actually, one of them I met on the masterclass. Oh, okay. So um, that was a while ago. Um, and he's got a business partner that's involved in it as well. Um, through property events, through networking at like business events. Yeah, it's just kind of spiralled really. Right, and was it easier than you thought to raise the money? Yeah. I mean, it's still mm. like, it still I'm takes I'm glad you said that, by the way. We haven't rehearsed this. Yeah. Way, but, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I think that's something which surprises a lot of people. So for anybody listening, they may well be thinking, well, I'd like to do that, but I can't do that. Mm. The ones who just go out and do it generally end up with loads of money. Yeah. And it's as much believing in yourself as anything else. God, it's amazing how much we, we hold ourselves back as human beings and the stories that we tell ourselves. But I think it's just having enough belief and... What's amazing about Rob Moore is that he gave me that belief in myself from the stage, mm. and that's very uh, impressive. But then we also just got on with it. Mm. It's, I think it's quite easy, and you can procrastinate on stuff, mm. but I think if we've mastered anything, it's just getting on with it mm. um, and surrounding yourself by people who are experts, professionals who can help you. Because we've mm. got, we're always referring to our accountant lawyers, you know, people to come up with solutions for, for doing joint ventures. So, yeah, it's just, it's a bit it's surreal, really. It's quite nice to do this because you kind of sometimes take stock of, of mm. how far you've come. Mm. So Yeah, and I think quite often we don't appreciate how far we have come. Nope. Yeah, until somebody points it out. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's Dave doing at the moment now then? Is he still a musician or is he in the business? He, about 18 months ago, maybe even a bit less than that, he started to get, he's a viola player, and right. he started to get this condition in his finger called focal dystonia, where the brain stops being able to communicate properly with the hand, or mm. it can be any part of the body, but for him it was this finger, ironically his wedding ring finger, and we just got engaged. But anyway, mm. no relation, we hope. Mm. Um, so he was went from being the top of his game in music to very quickly not being able to play like he could before. So... Basically, Dave's now 100% in the property mm. business, mm. which wasn't that wasn't the plan, but it's been great that he's had that, you know, music stopped being a possibility for him in the way that he wanted it to be. So it was great that he just had a whole role there that could just, you know, open up to mm. him. And he is so awesome at it. Mm. He is brilliant. So he manages the more... He's He's very much the back office side of things. He's very operational... Um, likes he likes improving systems and making things work well. Amazing at building relationships with people. So we're actually a pretty amazing team, really, which is really cool. Really, really good. Even though you're a control freak, self-admitted control freak. Basically, yes, I am. Yes. <laughs> I promise yeah. I am. Yeah. So what is good is that having really clearly defined roles has meant that I try and control the stuff that's within my role. And Dave's got more autonomy over his role. So that has been good. Sometimes he has to tell me to chill out. Mm. Um, but that's what makes me 
have that kind of forward drive um, and lack of patience. Um, kind of my probably my biggest flaw, <laughs> lack of patience. He has, is more like steady and um, yeah, steady. I guess is the word. And so we kind of he pulls one way, I pull the other way, and we probably end up in a good middle ground. But what is interesting is like when I first saw Rob and Mark, I was like quite envious of their relationship and their roles. And I just thought, oh God, that's just so amazing that, you know, Rob wants to be the front man, Mark wants to be the detail guy. And the interesting thing has been that Dave and I were actually much more similar when we started. And as we've really interrogated ourselves over what we enjoy and what we're good at, um, as we've focused into particular niches within our roles, we've actually become more and more different. Mm -hmm. So people now come and see us and they're like, oh, it's, it's detail Dave and like big picture Jackie. I wasn't mm. like that before. Mm. I was like, I was the one who set up the spreadsheets to start with um, and did the deal analysis. So it's, it's interesting how when you start to learn more about yourself and craft your role, you can actually free yourself to become even better at what you're great at. Mm. Interesting. Now talking about being great, yep. good link in here because we said we'd come back to the training. <laughs> and I remember about, must have been two years ago, or was it three years ago? Two years ago probably. Uh, you were on Expert Speaker Revolution, yeah. and I had the great privilege, along with Monsieur Steve Lamontin, yeah. of putting you through your paces to become <laughs> a progressive trainer. Yes. And of course, that was the course where we also had the whole of the, the Women Building Wealth, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, of course, of course it was, yeah. Yeah, you were all there. We were. You were all there. Oh my God. So, you're now on a stage, not in the way that you first hoped for as a teenager, but you are yeah. now definitely on stage, because last weekend, you were presenting at the Multiple Streams of Property Income event. Yeah down in Bristol. Tell us about that. What, what were you talking about? So I was talking about property strategy and at multiple streams of property income, which is something that, that we've built a whole training business around over the last mm. couple of years. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, being able to go back to the place that it all started pretty much three years ago or something mm. with our own journey, our own message, um, and being able to, to pass on what we've learnt over the last couple of years was just, yeah, amazing. Because you never would have thought then, when you were at the multiple streams, that you were actually going to be a presenter. No, and I would never have believed that I'd be a presenter with my own kind of topic to be talking about. You know, it was like a talk that I've crafted over the last two years. And yeah, I'm really proud of it. Yeah. Now, I'm really fascinated by this because you're talking about strategy. Yeah. And I get that because I'm I've written a fair amount about property, and one yep. of the things I've written about is property strategy. Mm. So I understand the importance, but it's surprising to me that so few people actually do get it. So can you give us sort of an, an outline of, of why strategy is in, so important in property and how it actually manifests and what strategies we should be thinking about? Yeah, definitely. So the interesting thing is when you start buying properties, most people don't realise that you're building a business. You just kind of think, oh, I'm just doing some investing. Uh, but the danger with that is that you build a business without realising it. And so therefore you don't have the fundamentals that all businesses need to have. Mm. Um, and, you know, the scary statistics on how many businesses fail in the first mm. five years, according to smallbusiness.co.uk, it's like 96% fail mm. in the first five years. Um, but the thing is, as property investors, we think all oh, that doesn't doesn't concern us because I'm doing property, I'm not doing business. Yeah, I'm just going to buy a property. I'll just buy a house. I'll just buy a house. Yeah. That's all it is. Bish, mm. bash, bosh. No. The thing is, okay, yes, that can get you so far. But the problem is when tough times come, if you haven't built your property business like a business with all the different facets, 
then actually your it can be quite unstable. Um, and for us, we we scaled very quickly. And I was really lucky that when we were in a tough time, feeling quite overwhelmed with how much we were trying to do, um, a a business coach short saw that I was doing what you should not be doing. I scaled up massively, but didn't have the the, the solid foundations in terms of having the right team in place in terms of having the right financial strategy that was a big one actually for us and in terms of systemizing it in such a way that we could continue to scale it because I was starting to get distracted by other stuff mm. um, so he caught me at the right time to say this is the stuff that you're missing and that really shaped the course of how the next few years have gone because we've gone from just being quite gung-ho and it's great if you're gung-ho like you need to take action and get on with it but if you are good at taking action, then you need to make sure that you're taking the right action and setting up, you know, yeah, for example, financial strategy. Like we didn't have a bookkeeper. We weren't doing our profit and loss account. We weren't doing management accounts. We didn't know what our cash flow was going to be. We didn't have cash reserves. So actually, if something had gone wrong in the business, we weren't resilient enough to be able to, to ride that um, storm. And in terms of knowing, like, who your client is, what your service you're offering to investors and who your ideal vest investor client is. And we were just spending a lot of time going to like every single networking event rather than actually having a strategy behind mm. what was our marketing strategy, who we're trying to find. Um, and that just revolutionized everything because actually the reason I started, and we were talking about this earlier, I wanted more freedom and more time. <laughs> and I'd actually given myself the opposite mm. uh, until the point that that business coach came, like reined me in and said, what, what are you doing? Mm. Um, and so I saw that there was a massive need to then help, for, help other people in property to get the same thing in their property businesses. Mm. To specifically apply that strategy or that thinking about strategy around property. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. the problem is in property, we call things like rent to rent, service accommodation, HMOs, all that kind of stuff. We call those strategies. Well, I don't think they are strategies. They're techniques. Yeah, oh, I call them business models. There but we techniques, are. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But it's like the thing that you use to make the business work. Yes. You don't, and that's the problem. When, we, when we're calling them strategies, we can lure ourselves into this full sense of security that we have a strategy mm. when actually we don't. Mm. So it's, I spent the kind of last two years talking about this at property events. Mm. And the problem is, because in property, we don't realize that we have a problem, that we aren't being strategic. People don't realize that they need it. Mm. So my mission, first of all, is just to get people aware of what strategy really is mm. in property and to get them doing something about it while the times are good. Because when the tough times come and they are coming, we need to make sure we've already done the work on strategy so that we are resilient and we're working like a business. And actually getting some of those results that you wanted when you started, mm. because it can be very easy to kind of get to start building a property business and then see loads of other opportunities for other businesses you could set up and then set up new businesses before it's time to set up a new mm. business, which therefore just makes you really busy, leads to overwhelm, exhaustion, and actually not enough holidays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I totally get that because unfortunately property is one of those things where because we all think we know a bit about property, nobody really thinks about it. Mm. So you, it's a fantastic message to be getting out there. And you've got your own business consulting on this to property investors, I yes, believe. Is absolutely. that right? Yeah. yeah. So I work with people all the way through from people who are just starting out um, in a bit more of a mentorship capacity, to be honest. It's a blend of like strategy and mentorship. Hmm. But I also work with people who've got like 20, 30, 40 million pound portfolios who have never really thought about it as a business. 
Um, and it's actually, they've created a little bit of a beast that needs some untangling and to get back to why they started mm. and to actually put all those foundations of strategy in place retrospectively, which is always harder to do it that way, um, mm. to make sure that they are getting the financial rewards, getting the time, the freedom, whatever else they wanted mm. from it all, which is quite brilliant. I love it because really, I'm just, people are so fascinating, but we're a sea of contradictions as human beings. So in my role as a strategist in property, I just get to basically untangle people's lives, hopes, desires, wants, and get it into something that's actually useful that people can follow um, and implement to get results. And it's, uh, it's a privilege to be able to be involved with understanding someone's real hopes and desires, like what someone's vision is. That's like someone's innermost, mm. you know, thoughts and hopes. Mm. And so I love being a part of that. And then being able to actually help someone make a plan to get there. I think for me, that is just the biggest, most amazing thing that um, you can do. So, yeah, I love it. Right. Fantastic. So you mentor and you consult. Yep. So if you're starting out, mentorship might be appropriate. If you've already got an existing portfolio and clients with 20, 30, 40 million quid worth sounds very impressive. You can help them as well. Yeah. So for anybody who's listening to this who thinks, yes, that's what I need, and Jackie sounds like the sort of person who can inspire me and get me to where I want to get to, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, the best way to get in touch with me, I'm always on Facebook, so you can search me, Jackie Tomes, on, on Facebook and send me a message, or you can get through, uh, you can get in touch with me via my website, which is JackieTomes.com. JackieTomes.com. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Fantastic. So, Jackie, we've come to the end of our time, but I've got to ask the question. Because freedom is so important to you, are you getting all the holidays that you need? Are you getting all the holidays you want? Perhaps is a better question. But <laughs> no. I understand, I need them too. Yeah. <laughs> the first answer to that question is no. I'm not getting enough holidays um, because our vision is for a holiday every four weeks. At the every moment, four weeks? Every four weeks is the vision. And at the moment, it's only every six weeks. So. I mean, I'm being a bit tongue-in-cheek, it's amazing to go on holiday yes. every six weeks, but that's just the beginning um, and we want to just get it, The business, we've got, you know, the business has still got to be, we've got to get more systems and more people to support us, but, you know, we've got to every six weeks and I know we can get to every four as well. So yeah, it's... Um, I'm You're getting there. Getting there and loving it and my family live overseas, so being able to actually go and spend time with them is amazing. And if you'd have told the girl who was sitting on that, in that ski chalet, dreading going back to work five years ago, that I'd be sitting here having this conversation yes. with you right now and saying I'm going on holiday every six weeks, I'd have thought you were yes. bonkers. And we're going full circle because you've got quite a big ski trip coming up, haven't you? <laughs> I do actually, yeah. We're going skiing for a month for in a month. January. A month. A month. I could wow. never have, I, you know, I always liked the idea of going and doing like a ski season and being maybe a chalet maid. I always thought that, yeah, that's quite a romantic idea to me. I never made it happen. So now for me, it's being able to, I'll still run the business from out there. I'll still do like my client meetings online and we'll still keep in touch with all the property stuff, but we can do it from anywhere in the world. And so it's, it's entirely possible to do that and to have that life. You've just got to get the right systems in place, the right people around you and actually just get on with it. Fantastic. Jackie, it's been fantastic talking to you today. You too, Peter. Just as a reminder, anybody who wants to get in touch with Jackie, find her on Facebook, Jackie Tomes, or the website address again. JackieTomes.com. JackieTomes.com. J-A-C-K-I-E-T-O-M-E-S. Thank you. Brilliant. 
Jackie, look forward to seeing what happens over the next few years. Massive things, I'm sure. I've been Peter Jones. This has been the Progressive Property Podcast. If you have any ideas for any subjects you'd like covered, get in touch with me through the community, through the Progressive Facebook page, or message me direct. And if it looks like it's something which could help all of us, we may do a podcast on it. In the meantime, here's to successful property investing. <laughs>